What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Thank you so much for listening. And this week, we're talking about No Hard Feelings, the new studio comedy starring Jennifer Lawrence, plus two absolute must-see TV recommendations, and then some, shall we say, 4th of (laughs) July-themed streaming racks. So you want to stick around for all of that. Uh, I want to let you know off the top of the show, you can get in touch with me on Twitter at MrMattCraig or through my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com. That's where you can let me know what you think of any of these movies if you've seen them or what movies I should be watching and keeping an eye out for in future editions of this podcast. Awesome. Really appreciate you listening. Let's jump into No Hard Feelings. Let's remind ourselves for a second where Jennifer Lawrence was in her career in 2016. She was 26 years old, the highest paid actress in Hollywood for the second consecutive year, the lead of a successful franchise in The Hunger Games, and a four-time Oscar nominee, with three coming in the lead actress category, including one win for Silver Linings Playbook. It literally cannot get bigger or better than that. In terms of actors born after 1990, she was the movie star. But that was seven years ago. In the intervening time, she's worked less, yay for her, less successfully, I mean, passengers, yikes, and weirder. Also, yay, but mother is really out there. She got married, had a kid, and now at the ripe old age of 33, she seems somehow to carry herself like a world-weary veteran who has nothing to prove and no Fs left to give. (laughs) Pardon my French. From that spirit comes No Hard Feelings, a broad studio comedy about a loser local girl in Montauk who agrees to sleep with the high school-age son of some rich summer interlopers in exchange for a free car. It's the kind of dumb premise that no one would give second thought to if it was told from the perspective of the boy. And in fact, movies about a boy who pursues an older girl to lose his virginity before going to college are literally a dime a dozen. It's Lawrence's first true return to movie stardom, in the sense that the movie would not exist were she not in the lead role, and it's hard to imagine too many other actresses with the juice to get it made in her spot. If she cared about returning to her throne atop Hollywood, this is certainly not what she would have chosen. Studio comedies are reliable duds at the box office. $29 million worldwide so far, and that's actually above expectation. And virtue these type of movies are virtue signaled into oblivion by critics. I mean, oh, she's a predator, poor kid. <laughs> For most of the movie, her character humiliates herself, so it's certainly not boosting the movie star wow I wish I were them, cool factor either. Her philosophy seems to be, who cares? And I love that. This role gives her a chance to have fun and to be funny, which she is naturally and hasn't really had a chance to display on screen before in the same way. While there were no riotously funny moments, at least for me, I and the other people in my screening were laughing consistently through the whole movie. Let me tell you, for a broad comedy, that's certainly not a given. As I said before, With comedies and horror movies, the measure of success becomes binary. When someone wants to know whether this type of movie is good, they ask, is it funny? Or, in the case of a horror movie, is it scary? So mission accomplished. This movie is funny. (laughs) So therefore, No Hard Feelings is good. 
Jennifer Lawrence, she has good chemistry with Andrew Barth Feldman, who will probably receive the biggest career bump from this project. And dotting the background are a handful of very funny people. Matthew Broderick, Natalie Morales, Eben Moss Bacharach of The the Bear, uh, Hassan Minaj. Of course, as is the case with almost every comedy, when the movie has to transition in its final third from simply funny situations into actual plot uh, resolution territory, out of ridiculousness and into sincerity, it loses all its steam. It's predictable and fine in the least impressive way. All that adds up in 2023 to a recipe for a classic streaming movie. I can usually see this one at the top of the Netflix top 10 in a couple of months, but I doubt anyone will be quoting it with their friends 10 years from now the way we still quote Will Ferrell movies from the 2010s. None of that matters to J-Law, though, I don't think. She's done it all. Now she seems intent on upending expectations and doing whatever she wants. I mean, what a life. Revive the studio rom-com next, please. Every week I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week something new is The Bear, season two. It's on Hulu. And this is a public service announcement for everyone, regardless of whether you've watched any episodes of the excellent FX drama The Bear before. Go watch season two, episode seven, immediately. It's one of my favorite TV episodes of all time, and literally it made my heart leap and my eyes tear up in the way only the very, very best movies can. It's the power of visual storytelling at its finest. The episode follows one of the show's supporting characters who is kind of a loser, and he's stodging, which is basically interning, for a three Michelin star restaurant in Chicago. It's an awesome personal story about fulfillment and finding purpose, but it also explains, in a way I've never appreciated before, exactly why fine dining is special and worth the exorbitant prices. What else can I say? It's a very, very special half-hour television, and I guarantee it'll make you want to watch the rest of The Bear afterward. Second up, I, I want to recommend Black Mirror, but specifically Beyond the Deep, uh, which is on Netflix. At 80 minutes, this episode from the latest season of the anthology thriller series Black Mirror is, for all intents and purposes, a feature-length film. Its conceit is simple, yet brilliant. And every time I watch a good episode of this show, I'm reminded of the ridiculous chorus of there's no good ideas for movies anymore as an excuse for why most stuff sucks. I'm not sure why the economics of creativity work, quote unquote, for TV, but not for movies these days. I would have gone to see this in a theater. The episode stars Aaron Paul and Josh Hartnett as astronauts in the late 60s in some alternate reality where We've developed a technology to allow the astronauts up on their spaceship to essentially plug themselves into avatar replicas on Earth so that they can spend time with their families and live a more normal life. Since we're talking about Black Mirror, I mean, of course, things go horribly wrong with twists and turns to follow. But it reinforced a couple key points that other feature-length stories can learn from. Number one, you don't have to explain everything. Number two, once you set up the rules of the world, you have to stick to them. Number three, decisions have consequences. And number four, audiences are capable of traversing complex emotional territory. Those sound like simple things, but I I promise you, a lot of movies do not follow them. (laughs) This has great performances, sneaky layers of depth, and a gut-wrenching ending. 
either this one or Joan is Awful are the best episodes of the new season. This week, something old is from 1996. It's Lone Star. I like to think of this movie as a spiritual prequel to No Country for Old Men. Similarly, about a sheriff in a Texas border town. The sheriff, played by the criminally underrated Chris Cooper, is trying to modernize this system of frontier justice used by ex-sheriff Chris Christopherson, as well as his late father, played in flashbacks by a super young Matthew McConaughey, it's a murder mystery on the surface, but writer-director John Sayles picked up a Best Screenplay nomination for the way he weaves in the political implications of illegal border crossings, racial tensions, and family trauma. The slow boil of a plot fits the desolate setting well and actually pays off in the end with some unexpected twists. Although, I have to say, I have many questions about the ending, which I won't spoil, but when you watch it, just know I have questions. <laughs> also, in a one-scene bit part. It's young Frances McDormand, and this came out the same year that Fargo came out, which won her the first of her four Oscars. If you're ever looking for a good movie to watch, do what I did this week and scroll back through your best original screenplay noms. That's where all the good stuff is, and Lone Star is one of them. This week's Something to Stream is available seemingly everywhere. You can watch it on Max, Peacock, Tubi, Freevee, Pluto TV. Some of those are free services, so you can realistically, this is available to everyone. It's Man of the Year. I was trying to think of a good July 4th movie recommendation that wasn't one of the obvious ones, you know, like Independence Day or Forrest Gump, The American President, Rocky IV, <laughs> Top Gun, something like that. So I eventually settled on this Robin Williams dramedy about a John Stewart-esque talk show host who runs for president on a lark and then wins. Williams is a supernova at the center, of course, but supporting performances from Laura Linney, Christopher Walken, Louis Black, and Jeff Goldblum round out a great cast, and director Barry Levinson, who directed, you know, Rain Man, Rain Man, excuse me, Good Morning Vietnam, Disclosure, spins one of those funny stories with heart that generates nostalgia just by its tone. I mean, these are the type of movies that do not exist anymore. I would say this movie, or I would like to say this movie restores your faith in the American experiment, but the truth is it's closer to wishing for the good old days when the biggest controversy about an election outcome would be a computerized voting system. <laughs> anyway, Robin Williams for two hours, sign me up. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's show. I really appreciate listening. I want to encourage you to head over to the newsletter again at mattcraig.substack.com because this week we have a new trailer. There was a lot of good trailers, a lot of ones that I had to pick from, but we have the new trailer for Drive Away Dolls, which is the first solo directorial project of Ethan Cohen, one half of the Cohen brothers. When they split up, Joel Cohen made The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is like, you know, Shakespearean, black and white oscar nominated epic and uh ethan cohen made like a lesbian sex road trip comedy <laughs> which i think has always kind of been what we thought that each of the brothers sensibilities were and and you know it was a perfect mix together but 
Um, Ethan Cohen, that movie, I mean, <laughs> if you're a fan of the, the, the more screwball-y Cohen Brothers movies, then I think you're going to love this one. Um, uh, you guys know that they're probably my favorite filmmakers, so I can't wait for that. As for next week's show, I mean, it's Indiana Jones. <laughs> da 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 um, yeah, I mean, I've actually heard good things about it. Uh, James Mangold, the director, he doesn't really make bad movies. <laughs> and so even though it's, uh, you know, a lot of CGI and um, Harrison Ford being 80 years old, still doing action scenes, I think it's going to be cool. I, I can't wait to see it. So we'll be talking Indiana Jones next week. And I can't wait to uh, tell you guys all about it. So until then, guys, I guess I'll see you at the movies.